This podcast is sponsored by Kulabola, that creates simple and very advanced websites, as well as creating fantastic animation. If you or someone you know is looking to start or update their websites, we're offering a genuine 20% discount with the code SPEAKING. Just go to Kulabola, C-O-O-L-A-B-U-L-L-A.com, and the links are in the podcast description. Welcome to the Speaking Podcast. You can find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com. We're also on BitChute and YouTube as Speaking Podcast. I also have the Awakening Podcast, the Meditation Podcast, the Learn Polish Podcast, and the Crypto Podcast, and all can be found on rycon.com. Today, my guest from Boston, but living in my beautiful country in Ireland, please welcome Maria Tess. Maria Tesche, nice to meet you. So I always like the my guest to introduce herself to the listeners. Well, my name is Maria Tetje. I live in Dublin. I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, and I am an actor, singer, and voice and speech coach. Excellent. So I have looked at the different videos from you, but uh, I'd like to know your journey because, you know, you've done acting and singing and everything. Is that something you started at an early age? Oh, God, yeah. Um, I think I was on stage. I, I can't remember when I was not on stage, to be honest with you. As a kid, I remember my parents, my mom was the music minister at our church. And the only way she could get me to go to church was if I was singing, if I was on stage singing or on the, what do you call it? The altar. Yeah, that was the only way she could get me to go. So uh, yeah, I, I, my mother was a concert pianist. She was a wonderful musician and a singer. And she got me playing and singing, all of us actually, from a very young age. So I got my first guitar, a little baby-sized guitar when I was probably about four years old, I think. And yeah, and I, I was always on stage, always singing, always acting. And I was always in music groups and singing, acapella, harmony groups, all that kind of stuff. And I kept doing that until I was in college. And then I just stopped. I stopped when I was in college for about, I'd say for about eight or nine years, I didn't sing, I didn't act, I didn't do any kind of performing at all. And I sort of traveled all the world and basically just was kind of a gypsy. I was traveling all over the world doing odd jobs. Ended up in Edinburgh, ended up in England and France and Greece and all different places. And then I decided that America was probably not the best place for me. And as someone who is Italian and Polish and German, I'm a good mutt like most Americans, I decided that I wanted to live in Europe and that that was the place for me. So the plan was to get my European passport somehow, and this is going back in the late 90s, this is before Ireland became a place of immigration coming to Ireland where people wanted to, to be here. So this is there was nothing in place for someone like me who wanted to be self-employed, who was a performer, to get their passport. It was So I had to kind of make it up as I went along. Now it's, it's much easier to do that. You come here, you apply for it. It's actually quite straightforward. But at the time, all I knew was that I wanted to live in Europe and I didn't want to live in America. So I started the process and in the meantime I was doing little gigs I was doing gigs I started singing a lot of jazz and I lived in Galway on the west coast of Ireland for a few years and then and then all of a sudden things started 
there were quite a few American companies coming over to make films at that time. Roger Corman, who is sort of a cult American director who launched so many people's careers, Jack Nicholson, uh, lots of different people. He was making films in Galway and Connemara and they were American films, but he shot them in Ireland because it was cheap to do it, but they were all set in America. So for someone like me, it was great because I always got a role in, in the films. I got something, you know, as an American. And that was the beginning of, of just doing acting work here and doing gigs as a singer. And so that continued up until, geez, up until the, she's probably 2019. Uh, I made my living as an actor and a singer for the past 20 years. And about six or seven years ago, I started voice coaching in the corporate sector. So basically taking all the skills and techniques that we use as performers all the time and translating those in such a way that they would, that people in the corporate sector would be able to use them. And it will, it just took off, it took off. So I've been doing that now almost exclusively for the past two or three years and throughout COVID. And I love it. I love coaching and I love giving people in the corporate sector the performing skills that we use physically, vocally, and storytelling so that they can use them to get the results they want from their business communications. And it's just taken off like a jet and it's fantastic. I love it. And that's why I'm here talking to you today. Brilliant. And in the business environment, because I mean, you get some people, you know, they might be very competent at their job, but they can be very stressed. Do you have tips for helping those to get out of their shell? To get out of there. You mean the introverts, the techies, people who want to hide behind the computer. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, it's funny. I, anyone who's listening, you know, I think that people sometimes think actors and performers are extroverts. And strangely enough, a lot of us are not. I remember the first time I had to speak publicly, I was, uh, I was speaking at a conference. Someone wanted me to talk about, about voice. And this is going back about, I'd say five or 10 years ago. And I really panicked because people have to realize as actors and performers, we get to hide behind a character. We get to hide behind a persona. So it's not really us up there on stage. So a lot of the time when we have to speak at events, it's really terrifying for us because it's not the character, it's actually you. And so I really, really get it when people panic when it comes to having to give a presentation or having to have a high stakes client meeting. And they're not used to that. They're used to being behind something, being behind the laptop or behind somebody else and not having to do that. I totally get it. So I love my techies. I love my introverts because they need to know that, that these skills, when it comes to presenting, public speaking, speaking up at meetings, great speakers are made. They are not born, they are made. It takes practice, practice, practice to feel like you are worthy of speaking or you are worthy of telling that story and to get a bit of confidence underneath your words and to really believe in them. Because if you believe in those words, then your audience will believe in those words. So it really is just about, it's actually this simple. It's about having awareness of where you are, what you have as far as tools go, 
Is that working? If the answer is yes, great. If the answer is no, okay, well then we need to get a few more tools and techniques in that toolbox and also how to practice with them and to, to apply them practically in your communications. So it's really about getting skills and then putting them into practice. Yeah. And like I know you do MCing and there's a few different names for that. I'm already no MC mentor ceremonies, compier, you know. So you, you do that and obviously you enjoy that. Oh yeah. I, I think you know facilitating an event is great fun because you're like, you know, one of the things people have to remember is that it's never about you. When you're doing a public, when you're giving a speech, when you're giving a presentation, it's actually not about you. It's about your audience. It's always about the audience. What can you give them? What can you, how can you facilitate that event to serve the audience or the other performers? And that is actually one of the key tools in managing your nerves too. Because what that does is it takes the spotlight and the pressure off of you and puts it, it turns that spotlight around and puts it on the audience. It's, yeah, the spotlight's on you, you're on stage, but really it's about what you can give in that moment, as opposed to what you can get, if that makes sense. Yes, of course, of course. And how do you kind of prepare yourself then? Because like sometimes, you know, if you're the MC, it can be kind of for the whole event or whatever it is. So like what way do you actually practice for it? And how do you have notes or what way do you actually no, have the whole day laid out. Do you mean specifically if you're emceeing an event or just yeah, yeah, mainly an emceeing, yeah. Well, first thing to do is find out who your audience is. You have to know who you're talking to. So do your research. Do your research, research and prepare and figure out, okay, who's my audience? Who's out there? What are their challenges? What are their interests? Why are they there that night? Because if it's an event, if it's, um, if it's say, say it's a, it's a dinner and it's, it's, it's an awards event, because that happens quite a lot in, in, in big companies. They have these events where they're recognizing people in the company for things that they've done. So you gotta know, it's really about research and preparation when you're emceeing. Huge amount of your work is about research, research, prepare, prepare, find out about everyone who's gonna be there so you can make it personal. Otherwise, if you don't know who you're talking to, if you don't know who you're honoring, then it's sort of like writing a love letter to, to whom it may concern. It, you know, it's, it's it, where's the love? You know, you gotta, it's really pour love on it, pour love on any, any situation like that. Find out who you're talking to, find out who's going to be there, find out a little bit about the people you're honoring, find out about the people, you've got to know, I mean, one obvious one, do everything you can, as much research to find out about the people you're introducing on stage. Because really you are there to make everything else run smoothly. You're there, an MC is there to make everybody else look good. That's your job. And for something like that, is it something that you got the names of the different people and you do a research or do you have a kind of form that you get them to fill in or the actual organizer to give you the details that you have kind of a, a checklist on that? Yeah, I think I always contact the organizer and they love it because they get to tell you about about the people and like little things, quirks about that person, things you should mention that would be hilarious to everybody else, but you would have no clue about. 
so yeah and it's it's you know it's uh it's enjoyable because you get to learn about those people and to see the, the smiles and see people's faces light up is just wonderful and again it's not about you it's about everybody else around you and making them look good excellent and uh, what about workshops because uh, you know different workshops then you do that for the business sector i do i do uh you know um master your speaking voice to inspire your audience manage your nerves and present like a pro that's one i've been doing quite a quite a lot of lately these workshops really there's two kind of two workshops main workshops i've been doing the first one is to master your speaking so you can knock it out of the park every time you communicate to master your speaking voice and that includes your physical presence as well as your vocal presence because great speaking great presenting is a game of two halves you've got well three really not three halves but three three sections you've got your vocal presence you've got your physical presence and you have the story that you're telling crafting that story so you sort of got kind of got three sections or if you want to split it into two if you've got the what you say which is your crafting your story and you've got the how you say it which is your physical and vocal presence so that's kind of one workshop that um, i'm doing and then the other one is very specific about managing your nerves so it's about managing that nervous energy that comes up when before you go on a high stakes client meeting before you speak on a podcast like this before you give a presentation or a speech or MC an event it's some very simple and effective strategies that you can use to help manage that energy so you can free yourself up to be of more service to that audience and of more service to your message whatever that might be and like for yourself, if you are doing a speech or whatever, do you have a, a pre-ritual? Oh yeah, absolutely. Everybody has something. All the, all, every great speaker, like, you know, people who are at the top of their game, everybody has something that they do to warm themselves up and get themselves into the zone. And, you know, everybody has something different. And it's the same with actors and performers. There are as many warm-ups for actors and singers as there are actors and singers. And some of them might have some of the same bits, you know, but, but everyone sort of personalizes whatever that thing is that you do, whether it's 60 seconds that you do or a 10-minute warm-up that you do. But the idea is to do something that, that gets your body and your brain in the zone because you are doing something in that moment that is outside of what you normally do. So you've got to, you got to ramp it up. And if you, if nerves are a problem, if that kind of energy is a problem for you, then it's about, it's about managing that energy, recognizing it for what it is and channeling it in a way that's going to serve your storytelling as opposed to get in the way of your storytelling. What's yours? What's what? What's your strategy? <laughs> you know, because you gave me you, you gave me all the different things, but yeah, I didn't get your one. Mine, well, mine is a combination of 
of getting of warming up my body, warming up my voice, and getting in the zone in my head. So I would do a physical and vocal warm up, and I would also get just to give myself a moment to 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 just settle and to remind myself. And I always do this. I always remind myself it's not about me. It's about the audience. It's always about my audience. And then I say to myself, how generous can I be today? Generosity is the word of the day. It's the word of that moment is generosity. And you'd be surprised how how much that how much of those nerves and that energy just falls away. And I can then take that energy and put it into my delivery instead when I get on that stage. But you know, your, your speech or your pitch or your meeting does not happen when you get in the room or on the stage. It happens way before you even get into the backstage area. That's when you go on stage. That's when you're prepared and ready. You know, it's people make it look easy. People who we admire, we go, oh my God, she just, she just makes it look so easy. She was born to do that. Well, not really. Not really. Ask her or him, and I guarantee you, they have worked really hard to make it look easy. That's the good news, and it's the bad news. <laughs> you know, the good news is that those skills and techniques are there for anyone to use and to be amazing. The bad news, or the other news, I should say, is that you have to put the work in. You can't get around it. Exactly, exactly. And I know you're a, a speech coach. So what exactly do you do when you're helping people as when you're coaching them? Mm. I think the, the main, the top three reasons that people come to me for help. First is nerves. They feel like nerves are really getting the better of them and they are not performing at their best. Another reason people come to me is because they feel that they have lost the joy that they used to feel. People who are really senior executives and powerful men and women who are really at the top of their game, but they've lost a sense of joy and enjoyment in their speaking, in their presenting, or in their when they're um, speaking to their employees, or speaking at a conference, or pitching to high stakes clients. So those are two. And then the third one, the third top reason I think that people come to me is because they feel like their, their presentations or their pitching is flat and lifeless and has fallen into a real monotony, a monotone place. And they don't know how to lift it and to get life and color and texture back into those words. And you know, when we when we fall into, and we all fall into patterns and ruts, excuse me, that we feel are not serving our story, our message, and our audience. But you go, well, I know that this something's not working, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what to change. And that is when it's really useful to find someone to identify what those challenges are that you're experiencing and also to be for you to be able to envision the future 
where you do not have those challenges, where you are feeling powerful as a speaker, where you are feeling joyful, some joy in speaking, where you are feeling confident. So it's important to identify where you are and also where you want to go. And then how am I going to get there? I know you've got uh, some kind of very good clients that, that, that you've worked in you know, Google, uh, Bank of Ireland, KPMG, Volkswagen, J&J, etc. A lot of people love to have clients like that. What's your strategy for landing the big boys? Well, I've been very fortunate in my career that I freelanced, I've freelanced for companies who have these clients. And the secret really for me is just do a good job, just to keep doing just to keep coaching to the best of my abilities. And I'm so fortunate that I'm entrusted with these types of clients. So at the moment, I think my strategy is to, you know, to keep, keep reaching out to people, but also to continue to put, to, to continue to get my message out there. And that is so important, whether it's LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, whatever the platform is, or even podcasts like this. It's important to keep getting your message out there. That's something I think is, and to keep telling your story, to keep, to keep connecting with people who have a common experience. And I can identify with so many of my clients because I've been there. I was very, when I was um, well into my career, I had about a stage fright, which I've never in my life had never ever ever I'd always been supremely bomb proof on stage never once had I ever felt nervous I felt excited and this happened to me I'd say about eight years ago so I suffered from a massive panic attack on stage during the show and I didn't know what was happening to me because it had never happened to me before and it was, my heart was racing. I, my, I, my body became numb. I had an out of body sort of experience. My hearing went, my sight went, my sight narrowed. It was, it was terrifying. That is a severe form of stage fright and nerves. And I didn't know what was happening to me on stage until afterwards when I started talking to other actors and performers who had also had this experience, but people don't like to talk about it. People, actors especially, we're very superstitious. We don't like to talk about it or else we feel like we're giving it a name. We're giving it power. We're giving it legs. So this type of work, especially I, you know, I really understand. I totally get where you are. If you feel that those nerves, if you feel like you're not performing at your best. So it's important for people, I think it's it's important to keep connecting with, with people in that way. And also to, to keep upping my game as a coach, because I'm constantly adding to the techniques I use, to the strategies I give my clients. And I think that's that's probably the most important thing right now for me is to keep, I make lots of little coaching videos and I post them, little tips that people can use, strategies people can use right now in their next meeting, on their next phone call, for their next presentation, for their next TED talk. And it's accessibility and it's also keeping it simple, the techniques and skills so people can apply them right away.
like I've seen a, a lot of them videos and they're actually very helpful. They're, they're great. You know, like, you know, from a minute up to five minutes to some great tips that you, that you're sharing. And, you know, like you kind of mentioned the social media, I find myself overwhelmed with all the social media, just as you get kind of used to two or three, there's another 10 a pair. And it's like, we're trying to be everywhere. Do you, do you find that you try to concentrate on like three or so, or are you trying to reach more? What's, what's your kind of strategy in that side? Oh God, I, I, I totally, I feel your pain when it comes to the overwhelm of social media. Yeah, I, I think I, I just keep rowing my boat and it's important for me to do that because otherwise it gets very distracting. You have to be on Twitter, gotta be on TikTok, gotta be on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Blah. And there was a point this year where I just reached saturation level. There were so many ads for webinars. My God, we had webinars coming out of our backsides. It was just exhausting. And I just had to stop. And I went, you know something? I cannot, I cannot. My energy was, was getting spread really thin. And uh, I think it, refocusing, pulling back and refocusing was really important. I love LinkedIn. I, LinkedIn is my platform. I love it. I love it. The connections with people, it's true professional connections, which I love. Instagram is great too. I really enjoy that. Facebook, not so much. I don't know about Facebook so much, but I only, I just concentrate on those three and I don't, I don't spread myself as thin as I used to. And it's, you know, it's much easier. And I also just to think of it as a game, a bit of fun, you know, enjoyment. Because if you start taking it too seriously, it it gets it gets stressful so i would try i would definitely say that don't take it so seriously and enjoy the content you're putting out there because you were not if you're not enjoying the content you're putting out there then what's the, what's the point really yeah, exactly exactly I, I mean what i'm finding is say with twitter i mean i like i i'm in a lot of groups i get invited to, you know a lot of people coming on the show and everything i see all the twitter and my own one there's something like four and a half thousand following me and at one stage I, I had seven and a half but I was following so many it's like you know you've you can have algorithms that create this and it's like a follower for a follow and and unfortunately a lot of that the same with um with Instagram they're not really followers because it's better to have a hundred true fans that really get you than ten thousand that won't even give you a like and you'll see sometimes people have twenty thousand and you go through the 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 trade one heart two hearts and so the only reason i put something on twitter sometimes people will engage and very rarely but it's because it's easy on the platforms that i'm posting it's just two seconds but with the instagram i stopped doing it because that takes a bit more time and and the one thing that i would say is i mean i i don't get the youtube i mean i have one channel with the polish you know that that i've taken and that's hit a million and with another channel it's like you know you're lucky sometimes to get 10 views i mean it can go up to like sometimes it can be a thousand and you're like what's the difference between this and that one but one thing that i noticed on the po i always engage with the audience you know that you're connecting with them enough someone gives a nice comment that you but that can be kind of it's great for a while but then that can become overwhelming when there's a load of comments coming in and you're going to you have to draw the line you know so it's it's a hard one to to balance mm, balance that's the word yeah when you start feeling out of balance 
then that's yeah i because I, I i absolutely understand what you're talking about completely yeah so well done on going yeah, yeah no not doing that one anymore yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly yeah yeah it's our, we we feel like oh i'm missing out on something but reality is you put more in energy into the ones you like i like i like uh, linkedin as well i think for professional side of things because you know you connect if anybody you know reaches out to me on the linkedin it, no problem because you find that you don't get abused or you don't get any i mean you get the odd podcast or guys trying to request to do promotion of podcasts that seems to be the only thing that you'll get but other than that everyone that reaches out you know just just professional and you know you can have the conversations unfortunately on facebook it can be great but you can get a lot of nut jobs on that one and it's it, it's strange like but if you view the profile you know straight away if you actually spend it because there was a time where i was just accepting everything and i had to stop doing that and yeah. it's a shame because i know i have genuine followers that are actually trying to connect with me on Facebook. And th that's okay, I would love to, but it's very hard for me to, you know, because there's so many, and they're just, you know, they're looking for money or they're just just nasty comments and everything. And, and you have to scroll through, but because there's so many requests, I don't have time now to go through and check, is this a legitimate person? I just, unfortunately, it's only if I kind of go, oh, I know that person just by the face. So it's a, it's a shame because I'm, you know, potentially not engaging with true followers, but it's just, part of the this the social media scene that we're we're living in yeah i i remember i think i agree with you 100 percent on linkedin and yeah there's always going to be people out there who are going to go oh you know this he, he's only got 200 followers and you know how can he possibly be a bit of a and i just go oh my lord is your world that small that that is actually how you gauge whether or not someone is good at what they do. I it's ex I just keep thinking, wow, your life must be pretty sad. And you know, actually on LinkedIn the other day, I got my first sort of uh, scam uh, connection. I was shocked because I never had it on LinkedIn. Uh, and, and of course, you know, the, it's like, yeah, um, hello, um, I am sorry to have messaged you, but my family, I am very difficult with my family supporting for so little money. Uh, and I don't want to ask you for this. And I was just going, are you kidding me? I'm LinkedIn. No, no, not LinkedIn. It was like the last bastion of, of, of sense and, and professionalism. So disappointed. But, you know, you just report it and you get on with things. I, say, I mean, exactly. Report. That's what I do. Because if you just just ignore it, but just unfriend or whatever, it they'll do it to others so when there is a situation like that like they've infiltrated linkedin <laughs> exactly I the, the battlements <laughs> have been breached <laughs> i was like no <laughs> but i think you said it right just make sure you enjoy it because you know and there is times that you'll be posting it and you'll engage and then you'll enjoy it so yeah of course I, on the like because obviously with these crazy times that i don't think anybody has avoided in the last two years yeah, we're, we've kind of turned onto this beautiful Zoom world. So, what tips and tricks have you learned? Because obviously, you've you've probably you know instead of face to face meetings, you've got clients you know either one on one for coaching or I don't know, you will actually do kind of like workshops or you know for big, bigger clients. But what 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 kind of ha have you learned on the Zoom field? Yeah, I do a specific Zoom section in my in my voice and physical presence workshops. And really, it's just about how to own this space, this square space here, and just some strategies, very simple things about lighting, about framing, about your physical presence, 
eye contact, all kinds of, of things like that. And also structuring your message because online people, I mean, people can tune out any tune out, tune you out anytime. So even face to face, people can tune you out. So the trick with your physical and your vocal delivery is to minimize the chances that, that they might tune you out. But online, they can literally tune you out. They can just push the mute button. They can go check their messages on their phone underneath the screen. You won't even know they're doing it. So it's even more important to get your message really clear and crafted into an inch of its life. And your vocal presence and your vocal delivery is 10 times more important on, a, on an online presentations because sometimes your deck is the main screen or you may be in gallery view where your square is one of many squares and you don't have control over that. So your vocal delivery becomes that much more important because that is the main mode of communication that they're getting. You're not getting so much of your body language or your energy, but your voice, they're, they're getting your voice 100%. Excellent. I know you've done one video on breeding, so you might just kind of let people know about the, the benefits of that. Oh, breathing, yeah. Oh, people get so sick of me talking about breathing. I bang on about breathing because breathing as a skill gives you a lot of bang for your buck. And not all breathing is created equal. We know this. There are ways of breathing that are gonna support your voice and your message more than other ways of, of breathing. So for instance, when you breathe from up here in your chest, way up in your shoulders, this is a much smaller part of your lungs up here. And if you breathe down in your lower belly and your lower back, that area down here, this, when this area is relaxed and moving, you are, your lungs are able to take in a higher quality of breath. So it's not about the amount of breath you take in, it's the quality and the placement of that breath that's important. And breathing, of course, is the top number one stop on the journey of managing your nerves and managing anxious feelings and, and anxiety. Breathing is also the support for your voice. It's the support for your words. It's the support for clear thinking as well. And when you're breathing in that deep place, that place of power, place of groundedness, you are able to ground yourself a bit better. And when you're able to ground yourself, it helps with nerves and it helps to ground you in your energy, whether you're sitting or standing. Because people are now getting standing desks, which is great because when you stand and when you sit, those are two very different energies. So test them both out to see and feel, feel how each of them feels so you know which one you can make a choice to use. So breathing is sort of the cornerstone for everything, everything, all of your communications, your speeches, your meetings, speaking up around the boardroom table, pitching, training videos. A lot, that's, that's something that people are doing a lot of, training their staff. Zoom meetings, training your staff, creating videos.
for them, training videos. That's a big thing now too. I remember doing a competition and I was in the English and Polish and I did, I don't know that I have the Polish, I think I had the Polish second, but basically I had prepared my kind of ritual beforehand, just braiding whatever. And then I had to sit down through all of the Polish and then get up to do my speech. And I was terrible. I was like, just wasn't prepared and everything. And I made sure the next time, you know, that I got into two rounds, two languages, that I didn't do that, that I got out of the room and wasn't just in there sitting down listening to the, you know, the different other parts of a competition. And so I, yeah, I, I think, yeah, breathing and just being relaxed and, you know, even projecting your voice as well, you know, it's all, you know, using the lungs properly, you know, because it was something I used to get caught on and like loads of people, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. And I eventually, you know, I improved that. And I even, in one competition, I even tip people off. I said, you sit there, you sit there. And if I'm not speaking loud enough, just put your hand up the ear because they, they can't do anything else. But yeah, so I, I managed to overcome that. But it's just, it's just something to be conscious as well, because sometimes, you know, a microphone might break or, you know, yeah, or when we were in one, they just didn't have a mic system in it. In a, yeah, so these things happen. So for finally, because I, I listened to the different singing that you done, and you, you can see, because sometimes you see a singer and they look kind of nervous and everything, but you've got this kind of, I don't know, ooze confidence when you're singing. But I also saw you were doing different languages as well. Like you were singing, it was a Spanish, it's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Spanish. I sing Spanish and Italian as well as English, yeah. Oh, brilliant and like yeah. did you, is that any different to you did you just switch over no problem or did you is it something that you had to work on to doing it in the different languages no i i mean I, I i speak spanish pretty well so italian wasn't too difficult but i think language there's a musical each language has its own musicality so it speak singing in spanish or singing in italian it changes i find that the the, the musicality of that language is unique. So, so English is actually not people, English is actually not an easy language to sing in. It's not the easiest language to sing. Whereas Spanish or Italian, I find are much more, because they're much rounder. I think the musicality of those languages is different. And I love singing in those languages because the energy of those languages are very different. So the story is being, I find my storytelling is slightly different in Spanish or Italian. You're still storytelling when you're singing, but there is an energy in those languages, which is different than singing in English. Very interesting. Listen, Maria, it's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed all the tips that you've been sharing. So how can, people, you, get, how can people get in contact with you? I have a website, mariateche.com. But you can also find me on LinkedIn. I Google very well, loads of stuff on YouTube. And of course, you can also find me on Instagram with Maria Tache Voice. And you can find me on Facebook under Maria Tache. Excellent. And then make sure I put it on the podcast description, both on audio and video. So thank you very Excellent. much. Excellent. Thanks so much, Roy. It's been lovely chatting to you. So that's all for the Speaking Podcast. You'll find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com. As mentioned, we're on BitChute and YouTube. Be sure to give us a thumbs up, five-star rating, share with your friends, it all helps. Until next week, take care. This podcast is and always will be free. There are two ways you can help me as I spend a lot of time researching, recording, editing, and marketing my podcasts. I also have plenty of costs with like Zoom, BitChute, StreamYards, as well as equipment. I have a donation button, which you can buy me a coffee once a month. 
or even just donate one euro because if everybody who listens to the podcast donate one euro it would cover all the costs you can also support our sponsors all the links are in the podcast show notes thank you for listening this podcast is sponsored by Kulabula that creates simple and very advanced websites as well as creating fantastic animation if you or someone you know is looking to start or update their websites we're offering a genuine 20% discount with the code speaking. Just go to Kulabula, C-O-O-L-A-B-U-L-L-A dot com and the links are in the podcast description. Mm-hmm.